You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And today is our uh, ministry launch Sunday. And, and that might seem weird to you. That might sound weird to you. Don't worry about the, the title of it at all. Really, it's just us recognizing that every year there's kind of this rhythm in this culture, in, in our church, that um, people are kind of going all sorts of different directions all throughout the summer. There's here, there, and everywhere, family events and vacations and that sort of thing. And, and some of those things can be great, by the way, uh, as long as they're not taking your attention away from God, but actually focusing your attention toward God. And I hope that you were able to get away with your family and, and enjoy some of those things this year. Uh, but then I'm always kind of like breathing this sigh of relief come September that we're kind of all sort of starting to sink into our rhythms again and our normal routines. And, and we're back into being together on a regular basis And I'm always looking forward to that. Uh, As a church, we like to take that opportunity then uh, to focus our our attention and our vision and clarify those things and get ready for a new season of ministry. And so this year, uh, this new ministry year uh, is a little bit extra special because we're in a new location. And uh, we've been here at 902 Winter Hill Road now for about a month and and, and things are going great and uh, And we're excited about that. I've been watching God use this space for genuine, meaningful ministry. And and not only what's happening here in a broad context, but also the conversations that go on here, the different discipleship classes that go on here, the kids' classes. It's been awesome to see. And uh, we, we have like like these new rooms and this parking space and, and, and a little space to breathe and grow and, and, and this exciting stuff. And, and so launching into all of this new stuff is, is wonderful. And, and it can seem to fill us with this new sense of hope, right? And the theme for our ministry year that I want to talk to you today, about today is, is living hope. We, we want to be filled with hope for what God wants to do in our lives and in our church. And, and so this may seem totally counterintuitive to where I'm headed with this idea of living hope, but I want you to be convinced this morning that our hope must not depend on anything new that we see going on. Our hope must not depend on any of the exciting things that are happening around us. Uh, Those are great things, and we should be grateful for them, and we we can celebrate the evidences of God's work. But new and exciting things are not the foundation of hope. Because hope cannot rest on ever-changing circumstances. And whether in happiness or in trial, our hope must rest on our God who never changes. You see, our, our lives can be a lot like the floods that we saw in our county the other week, right? Like one moment you're just kind of enjoying this, this nice summer day, maybe expecting a little summer rain shower or something like that, and then boom, all of a sudden, eight inches are dumping on your head. And not only that, but like we here in Quarryville, we got like kind of we got some heavy rain, but it wasn't too bad compared to what they were getting in like Mannheim and Mount Joy, just a few miles away. And and our life can be kind of like that. I I know that we've celebrated some things as our as a church corporately, but we're also keenly aware that on a personal level, many of you 
have also been going through some, some pretty scary storms in life. And sickness and injury have left you in a place where you, you never thought you'd be there. And, and something maybe in your work situation turned out to be a major disappointment or trial. You've, you've had some relational battles that you didn't see coming. Maybe you're struggling with, with the ch- all the change that's happening in our church because, hey, you just don't like change. We get that. And listen, if, if, if our hope is in our temporary circumstances, eventually we will have no hope at all. And so I want you to ask two questions of yourself this morning. What do I hope for? And what do I hope in? What do you hope for? And what do you hope in? And maybe, just maybe write some personal ideas at the top of your notes and, and be honest with yourself. We, we all hope for something and we all hope in something. So first, uh, what do you hope for? What do you hope for? What, what is the object of your hope? What, what, are you, what are you waiting for in life? What, do you, what does your heart long for? That, that when you get that thing or you get that experience, then you're going to be like, I can have peace. I can have joy now. Some people hope for a possession. Like, like if I just get that dream home or that dream car or if my job just settles out or something like that, then I can have hope. Uh, others hope for a sense of comfort or ease of living or happiness. Like, like when all the chaos stops, then I can have joy. Others hope for uh, the need to be approved by others. And, and if I just get somebody's approval, then I'll be okay. Maybe it's a change in a job or a change in a family circumstance or a health circumstance that you're going for. What do you hope for? Do you have it written down? The second question that I want you to answer is this. Uh, What do you hope in? What do you hope in? What's the source of your hope? What is it that you believe will produce the object of your hope? Maybe you place your hope in your job. And you hope it can produce some income that's needed to obtain the, the thing that you, is, the, that you think is the, the, the object of your hope, the, the possessions and the circumstances that you hope for. Maybe you place your hope in a, a social status or, or your, your personality, relying on your ability to obtain peace and security. Maybe you hope in another person. Like if I just attach myself to this person, they're going to rescue me from the thing that I think is attacking me. Maybe you place your hope in something new. New stuff, new routines, new church buildings, new ministry years. But none of that is strong enough to sustain your hope. None of that can sustain hope when real life hits. And maybe, maybe... You find it difficult to answer either of those questions. What do I hope for or what do I hope in? Because you're saying, I don't have any hope. I can't see any hope at all. You've been let down so many times. Maybe you think it's impossible to find hope. And this year we want our church to be filled with hope. uh, Not in the happiness of of our circumstance or in the trials of our circumstance, but in the unshakable work of God through Jesus Christ. And so our theme for this year is going to be living hope. And our, our hope should be 
evident to everyone around us. As believers, we shouldn't be marked by doubt or despair, but hope. And throughout the year, we're going to be encouraging one another to hope in the right things and to hope for the right things. God wants to work in our lives and He he wants us to rescue us from sin and to prepare us for Himself. And He wants to build up His church. And it is so clear in His Word that He wants us to have hope in His powerful work. And so here's what we want to pursue together this ministry year. Live with hope in Jesus for the priorities of Jesus. Live with hope in Jesus for the priorities of Jesus. The words living hope come from uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Uh, let's read them and see how we can live with hope because of our living Savior. Hopefully you have a Bible. If you don't, uh, we always have one on our welcome center table. You're, you're welcome to, to get one there. But read along with me, looking at your own Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now just to give you some context for this passage here, uh, Peter is uh, was a follower of Jesus Christ. He was actually the leader of the disciples, the leader of the apostles. And, and he's writing now to followers of Jesus who are scattered throughout what was known as Asia Minor, or it's in now in modern-day Turkey. And uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, he uses this interesting phrase to describe the people that he's writing to. He calls them elect exiles. Now, now, by that, he doesn't mean that they're political exiles of, of Rome or some other province or something like that. Uh, he, it's actually a big theme in his letter. He means that God has chosen these people to be part of a spiritual, eternal kingdom. That They're citizens of heaven. And therefore, they're living away from their true home with their king in heaven. They're exiles. And not only that, but they're, they're living in hostile territory. They're, they're enduring persecutions and, and sufferings because of their faith. These are churches who are under some real trial. And this letter is going to travel from church to church to church where all of these believers are scattered. These are people who are feeling the weight of living in a fallen world as fallen people in constant contact with other fallen people. And they need some hope. Can you relate to them? Can you relate to them? Do do you ever feel the weight of this world? Do you ever feel the weight of your sin? Do you ever go through trials and feel the sense that that this is just not the way it is supposed to be? And, And Peter wants to turn their hearts and our hearts to the source of true hope. From the very beginning, he wants to fix their eyes on God himself. And so he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you want to have hope, 
You have to place your hope in the right thing. And so it starts right here. Hope in the merciful work of God through Jesus. Hope in the merciful work of God through Jesus. The source of true hope is God himself. The mercy of God causing us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. See, our, our hopeless, we are hopeless without the mercy of God. We, we have nothing but bad news until God steps into our lives. The Apostle Paul called Gentiles like you and I, people who are without hope and without God in the world, if we don't believe in Jesus. And without the mercy of God in our lives, we are, we are fallen people living in a fallen world. Like, just turn on the news if you need to test the source of your hope, right? Like, we are confronted day after day with death and hopelessness, disease and poverty and, and wars and prejudice. Because our only hope, apart from God, still leads to death. And we're hopeless without the mercy of God. And ultimately, that's because each one of us has personally offended an eternal and holy and righteous God because we are sinful both by nature and by choice. And because of that, we we deserve eternal judgment, not eternal joy. We deserve eternal death, not eternal life. Without the intervention of God, we are fallen people living in a fallen world. Like, did you ever look at an investment in your life? Maybe it was a financial investment or you were investing time in a, in a person or a project and you're like, yeah, 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 that's a lost cause. That, that's a hopeless investment. I, I want you to understand that that's what we are without God. That's what we are without God. And I know that sounds really mean to say and, and even maybe painful to hear. And I know that it goes against the the pathway to hope that's laid out in self-help books and that are so popular even in Christian circles. Like, just love yourself. Just feel a little better about yourself. Then you can have hope. But until we are hopeless in ourselves, we will never run to the source of true hope. We are a hopeless investment. But, blessed Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has great mercy. See, mercy is how God takes a lost cause and gives it living hope. Mercy is God entering into a covenant relationship with people who don't deserve it, withholding what we do deserve for our sin in order to defeat all that is hopeless in our lives. And God shows his mercy in a mind-blowing way. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. See, Jesus is the good news and the source of our hope. God sent his son into the world to fulfill the law that we broke. God sent his son into the world to die the death that our sin deserves, satisfying God's just wrath toward sin. And God shows his mercy in rising in, in, in raising his son from the dead to once and for all defeat the enemies of our hope, Satan, sin, and death. And our hope can be living. 
because Jesus is alive. Our hope can be living because Jesus is alive. And I want to then focus on, on this phrase, living hope, for a moment. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Hope is confident expectation. It's confident expectation. And in the New Testament sense, it almost always points to the confident expectation of eternal joy that awaits us in the presence of God at our final salvation when Jesus comes and returns. And so we're going to use this definition. Uh, Hope is the confident expectation of eternal joy in God's presence. The confident expectation of eternal joy in God's presence. Biblical hope is expectation. It's not wishful thinking. It's not wondering, am I going to see the outcome or not? It is both a, a gift of God to us and an attitude of the heart in us. And so there's this confident expectation that I'm going to see God fulfill his promise and uphold his word. Now, now by expectation, I don't mean entitlement. I want you to be very clear on this because we live in an entitlement society and we think we can expect whatever we want, right? But, but it's not, I deserve this and therefore I will get it. Our, our hope is based on the mercy of God. God is actually giving us hope by withholding the punishment that we deserve. I'll talk more about that in a minute. So, so it's, it's not entitlement and it's also not the power of positive thinking. Like if I just hope for something enough, I can, I can just will it into existence. That's not the, the sense of, of biblical hope. Hope is not based on our own positivity or outlook, but on the surety of God's plan and promise. Hope is the confident expectation of eternal joy. And we can have that confident expectation based on the mercy of God shown through the work of Jesus Christ. Peter describes this as a, a living hope. It, it, it means that, that the hope has vitality. It is strong and powerful and effective. It will see the intended results. That This hope is as powerful as a Savior who conquers the grave. And a lot of times, we walk around with dead hope. We, we hope in things or people who are, are not able to overcome our greatest enemy. Think about those things that you wrote down that you hope for and that you hope in. If you are hoping in anything other than Jesus or hoping for anything other than his priorities, you're walking around with dead hope. And there's only one source of living hope. It's the merciful work of God through Jesus Christ. Now, something very important must happen so that we can access that hope. Look at it, verse 3 again. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. We must be born again in order to experience living hope. The, The big theological word here is regeneration. That's a word that you should know. It's a word that you should get to know. It's something that God does to us. Notice there, God caused us to be born again to a living hope. The Spirit of God must work in your heart to take what was dead and hopeless and breathe new life into it. To make you alive together with Christ. 
In order to experience living hope, we must receive a new nature from God. Our old sin nature must die, and a new nature must come to life with Christ. The Spirit of God must unite us to Christ through faith. A life united to the resurrection, resurrected Savior is a life of living hope. A life that is united to the resurrected Savior is a life of living hope. God's action of regeneration is how the Spirit opens your eyes to believe that Jesus is your only hope. That you can't work your way to God. That neither you nor anyone else can rescue yourself from your fallen condition. The Spirit of God must make you alive together with Christ. And He does that by awakening faith, trust, conviction, allegiance. It's all in the same word group faith in our Savior and Lord. And then you walk by that faith. That's what it looks like to be be born again from a human perspective. Persevering faith. Persevering belief and trust. Conviction that produces hope in Jesus. Being born again looks like no longer trusting in other saviors and worshiping other gods and following your own way. And instead, being born again looks like trusting in and worshiping the true God as he is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ and following him. And so the source of hope is the merciful work of God through Jesus. The question for you this morning is, do you live in that hope? If you do not, I want to plead to you to turn from every other thing that you would place your hope in and and turn and trust in Jesus Christ alone. I'm praying that the Spirit of God would awaken your heart to faith in him. Living hope for the future is accessed through faith that is placed in the finished work of God in the past. Jesus died and rose again, and when you place your faith in his death and resurrection for your salvation, you can have living hope. And if you're struggling to find hope, if you're struggling with anxiety or doubt or fear or shame, first of all, let me just... Identify with you have been there. I've been there personally. Maybe not in the specifics, but in the general feeling of hopelessness. And in that place, you need to turn from every false source of hope. And you need to run to the cross. And you need to run to the empty tomb. And you need to see your Savior who has conquered your enemies And rose again to free you from the bondage of sin that leads to death. You need to experience new life in Him that comes through faith. And when you place your faith in Him, you can have living hope. Your sin can be atoned for. The righteousness of Christ can be yours. And so this year, one of the ways that we're going to pursue that living hope together at Oak Hill is by studying the last four and a half chapters of the Gospel of Luke during our Sunday morning sermons. And next week, we're going to be returning to this, this study in Luke that has taken us almost three years, to, and we're going, to, we're going to begin the end of it, right? And, uh, and we're going to see the last week of Jesus' life, starting with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And we're going to carry that through the end of this year uh, and, and see the, the power of his re- resurrection. And we're going to do that so that we can lean in 
and ground our hope in the right source. We're going to study the, resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that our hope is grounded in the right source. Now here's the thing. What we hope in will define what we hope for. What we hope in will define what we hope for. If we hope in earthly, worldly things, and we're longing for those outcomes, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to place our hope in earthly, worldly things. But if we truly hope in Jesus, then we are going to be hoping for the eternal priorities of Jesus. And so remember our big idea. Live with hope in Jesus for the priorities of Jesus. Now, in one sense, the one thing that Peter wants us to hope for is our future blessed hope, future salvation, that, that day when Jesus returns and he judges the nations and he calls his people to be with him forever. But Peter also demonstrates over and over again that, that, that one hope of future salvation in eternity changes our priorities in the here and now. Hope for the future always changes our perspective on today. And so let's talk about those priorities for a minute. At Oak Hill, uh, we realize that, that the priorities of Jesus and the authority of Jesus extends to every part of our lives. But that can be difficult to, to wrap our heads around, every part of our lives. Like, that just seems so big and vague. And, and so we often talk about our lives in five spheres. There's a lot of overlap here, but, but sometimes it's just helpful to, to think about these spheres to remember that the work of Jesus isn't confined to my personal quiet times or the time that I spend at church. Like Jesus is Savior and Lord over all of it. And, and he wants to define your priorities everywhere you go in everything that you do. And so we see those five spheres actually in the way that the New Testament books like First Peter are organized. They have these household texts talking about the family and then, and then household texts that talk about the church and they, they almost always then result in, in our witness to the community and to the world. And so throughout his letter, Peter attaches this idea of hope to all five spheres of our lives. And he shows us what we hope for in changes what we hope for. Peter shows that hope affects every part of our lives. And so I just want to look at these different occasions of the word hope throughout Peter's letter so that we can see what we need to be hoping for and what our hope is to produce. Just so you know, when we hope for these things and we begin to see that that hope is fulfilled, it's evidence that the Spirit has done the work in our lives to be born again. If these aren't your heart's longing, then you have to go back to the source and say, am I really hoping in Jesus? Is my hope really centered there? So five priorities we can hope for. The first one is this, hope for the glory of God in your trials. Hope for the glory of God in your trials. This is right in the immediate context of this first mention of living hope. And so look again at verse 3. He says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Now jump to verse 4 where he defines that hope. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, 
and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying that that as we hope in the merciful work of God through Jesus, we hope for this incredible inheritance. Ultimately, it's, it's the presence of God in heaven and the joy and the pleasures that are at His right hand forevermore. And God is preserving an inheritance for us. He's, he's keeping it. He's guarding it. He's setting a watch over it carefully. You can just imagine like this, this treasury that God's like, nope, this is theirs. I'm holding it for them. It's like a, like a Swiss bank account or, or a lockbox at your bank that, that he's guarding for you. And then, not only that, not only is he guarding the inheritance, but he's also preserving us for that inheritance. He says that those who are born again are being guarded and protected. The word picture is of a, a, a military troops who are surrounding a city, and they've got it all closed in so that, that nobody can get in who doesn't need to be in or who shouldn't be in. And, and also so that nobody can get out who shouldn't be out. In other words, if God causes you to be born again, then your hope is sure because he is protecting you from without and from within. And he will get you to the end. And verse 5 says that he will guard his children through faith for that experience of final salvation. And so we must persevere in faith to the end. We must hold fast to Jesus as Savior and Lord to the very end. And we can have hope because God is at the same time preserving us through faith to the end. Your perseverance is sustained by God's preservation. And Peter says in this, in this powerful, vital, living hope of final salvation. In this, you rejoice. Or the word could be translated there in verse 6. Greatly rejoice. Like, like you take the volume all the way up, right? And, and he's commending them in this. He, he, says, he says to these believers, you rejoice today because of what you confidently expect in eternity. You let your heart sing along with Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or as we did it today, you called my name and I ran out of the grave. Or you sing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Or you rejoice in this way. All the earth will shout your praise. My hearts, our hearts will cry. These bones will say, great are you, Lord. You rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now this joy isn't simply this blissful ignorance that ignores the world around me so that I can sing a happy song. Peter's commending them for rejoicing in the midst of some very difficult circumstances. 
He says in verse 6, In this, living hope of final salvation, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Like, like what kinds of trials, Peter? Various ones. He doesn't get specific. He allows us to have hope in the middle of various trials. Have you ever been grieved by various trials? I can tell you one thing. The people receiving this letter didn't have to ask what kinds of trials. They knew them very personally. They knew them very intimately. The believer and the unbeliever alike endure trials. Coming to Jesus, the hope of Jesus is not this guarantee that you're going to have this easy life. The difference is that the believer gets to experience his trials as producing hope. The difference is that for the believer, trials are not a waste. They're producing proven, enduring faith. And when you face trials and your faith remains and grows, your hope can increase that the Spirit has secured for you a living hope. When we're born again to the Spirit, He produces faith that trusts in God no matter the circumstance or cost. Faith that is more precious than gold. Faith that outlasts that gold and all other things that we would place our hope in. Faith that is the channel by which we obtain living hope. And the ultimate goal of that faith is praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that there in verse 7? He says, the tested genuineness of your faith results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so have you ever thought about this? That because of your enduring faith in Jesus in the midst of various trials... Jesus is going to receive specific praise and glory and honor when he returns. Now that's something to hope for. I I know that some of you are going through some serious stuff. And and that's one of the reasons why we as elders landed on this theme together for our church. We want you to have the right source of hope in the midst of those trials. And the thing that you can hope for is not that your specific trial would be over or that it would be all better, but that it would prove the genuineness of your faith in God and result in ultimate praise and glory and honor at the return of Jesus Christ. Do do you hope for that? Would it be worth it if you saw nothing more from your trial than the praise and glory and honor? Of Jesus when he returns. Hope for the glory of God in your trials. Here's another thing to hope for in the individual sphere of my life. Hope for the holiness of God in your walk. The holiness of God in your walk. Jump ahead to the next mention of hope in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 13. Verse 13 says, uh, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who calls you is whole, called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, do you see your, our, our word there, hope? Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's exactly what we've been talking about. Confidently expecting, confidently pursuing eternal joy that comes through God's grace that will ultimately be seen in the presence of God in eternity. And when we set our hope on that grace, we realize that we're waiting for the experience of holiness. We're waiting for a day that is no longer corrupted by the sin nature. We're waiting for a day when our desires perfectly align with God's desires. We're waiting for a day when we stop destroying ourselves and others through our sin. And when our hope is set on that holy perspective, we will desire the holiness of God in our lives. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who calls you is called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In calling these believers obedient children, Peter's pointing back to this idea that they are born again. They're called to be born again and become children of God. They have this new life in Christ, this new identity in Christ. Sin no longer has dominion over them. They have a new heavenly father. And God wants his children to grow more and more to reflect who he is. Because that's the source of our hope. We're to become holy people who have a holy hope. And so what area of holiness do you need to address this year by setting your hope fully on the power of God? Is it your sexual purity? Is it a prejudice? Or an anger issue. I'm pretty sure you know what it is. And if you were with us this past summer, we talked about the Ten Commandments. Maybe there's something there that God's been convicting you of in that series. And this year, you can put that thing to death. I'm not talking about wishful thinking. Like, like sure, maybe I'll be a little better in this area of holiness. I'm talking about saying, we're going to take care of this thing, God. I'm going to prepare my mind for action. I'm going to be sober-minded and see where the attack of sin is coming. And I'm going to obey you in the power of the Spirit. My hope is set fully on your grace to accomplish this in my life. And so many times we approach our sin issues with hopelessness. Like I've always dealt with this and I always will. I struggle with this sin or sin, that sin, and, and so maybe I don't believe enough, and, and it's just always going to plague me. But God wants to produce hope in your life that produces holiness in your walk. This is one reason we're, we're doing the first principles study. Uh, that, that whole study is centered around this verse in Colossians 2 that's very similar to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. Colossians 2, 6 through 8 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. 
See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceits according to the elementary principles of this world and not according to Christ. See, we want to walk out the principles of Christ in obedience to Christ for the holiness of Christ, not getting caught up in the principles of this world. And so I'd invite you to come to that class at 11 a.m. even today if you want to if you want help in growing in your holiness in your walk by studying the Word of God. That, that's the individual sphere. The glory of God in your trials. The holiness of God in your walk. Now, now these things are, are individual in nature, but God designed it so that they're supported by a church that's going to encourage you in the Word. Which brings us to the next mention of hope in First Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. He, that's Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. So here's what we can hope for. Hope for the love of God in your church. Hope for the love of God in your church. Peter says, your faith and your hope are in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You've experienced the new birth of the Spirit in your heart. You've started walking out that experience in obedience to the truth that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And therefore, because of all that, pursue love as a church. Love one another. One another is church language. People within the church turning toward one another in love. Love one another, he says, earnestly, fervently, intensely, from a pure heart. That's a little different than we sometimes think about church. When you're in your car driving to church to gather with God's people, do you say to yourself, boy, I really hope that I get to love somebody today. Like, if I can just show somebody love, then today's going to be worth it. Or do you instead think, it's only going to be a good day if the greeters smile at me right, and kids' checking goes smooth, and we sing the songs that I like to sing, and Pastor Ben preaches shorter than normal. It's not happening today, by the way. But what is your hope for your church involvement? And certainly, we need to be preaching God's Word and, and, and going after God's priorities in, in the ways that we organize our gatherings. But, but when you come, are you hoping to show the love of Christ to one another? Is your hope selfish consumption or earnest love? Now, you can only love so much with a hundred of your closest friends on a Sunday morning. And so maximize that out for sure. Uh, but the place that we're striving for that the most is in our gospel communities. And just like our, our broader church gospel communities are these groups of people where the thing that, that brings us together is the common hope of the gospel. We, we come together through the gospel. That's why they're called gospel communities. 
It's not common hobbies. It's not interests or age groups or, or, or experiences. The thing that binds us is the good news that Jesus died and rose again so that we could be born again. That's what holds our gospel communities together because that's what holds Christ's church together. And that's all that we need to produce a unique, earnest, fervent love for one another. And so when we gather together in those gospel communities, a primary goal is to express gospel truths to one another, to help one another grow in the gospel, to grow in the joy of God in our heart, and to pursue the glory of God in our trials, and to pursue the holiness of God in our walks. That's why we're there together. Preach the gospel to one another in your gospel communities this year. That's what we're going for when we say relational discipleship and care. It's ministering the word to one another out of love, speaking the truth to one another in love. Focus not just on Bible study, but on those moments where somebody's expressing to you a need. Minister the word to them. And then we exist for the gospel in our gospel communities. We want to express that hope to more and more people. And so we'll talk about that more in a moment. But, but hope in Jesus produces a love for the things that Jesus loves. And the Bible is clear that Jesus loves his church. And if you are, are not a part of a local church community like that, and, and you say that you believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then you need to commit yourself to a group of Christ followers and start loving them earnestly. I'm not saying that we're going to be all that easy to love. and You might not be either, but we're going to go after it together. This year, let's allow hope to produce the love of God in our church. We've talked about the individual sphere. We've talked about the church sphere. Uh, Next, we want to, at the next mention of hope, Peter talks about the family sphere of life. Hope for the pattern of God in your family. Turn ahead to chapter 3, verse 5. Peter's talking about the pattern that that God's designed for the family, that that husbands are to lead their wives in an understanding way, uh, recognizing their equal value but their unique role in the home. Wives are to submit to their own husbands. Yes, I said it, submit. And some wives hear that and they're like, no way, that's crazy. Absolutely not. If I submit to my husband, he's going to lead me into some pretty terrible places. If I submit to my husband, he's going to abuse his leadership role. And so Peter says in verse 5, he says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands. Evidently, this had fallen out of vogue, kind of like it has today. And then he says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. See, God's pattern for the family sounds crazy to people who have never experienced the beauty of God's design. And, like, I'm supposed to relate to my husband. How? Submission? Seriously? And I'm supposed to relate to my wife. How? Understanding? Honor? Laying my life down for her as Christ laid down his life for the church? Like, what? And Peter's honest, like, yeah, sometimes it is crazy. Like, like he points us to, to Sarah. And if anybody had a husband who led her into some pretty terrible places, it was Sarah. Like, like he, he prostituted his wife out. Abraham was not a great leader of his household on many occasions. But Sarah hoped in God. Sarah knew that God could produce his outcomes 
through the pattern that he ordained for his family. And so are you hoping for God's design to be expressed in your family? I'm just going to take you out to the big picture. Like husbands, wives, we're going to include children in this. Are you fulfilling your God-given role in the pattern of the family? We're, we're here as a church to support you in that. We, we often say healthy churches make up healthy families, are made up of healthy families, and healthy families make up healthy churches. And so in the first principles and in the gospel communities, through our intergenerational investment, we want to support and uphold God's design for the family. Additionally, we have a, a next-gen discipleship hour that is not designed to replace the family in the discipleship of our kids, but to support the family in, our, in the discipleship of our kids. And so we're going to be encouraging your kids and equipping, them to, equipping you to be the primary disciple makers in your home. They're going to be memorizing Scripture. Memorize Scripture together as a family. It's going to be great. And so that all of that is wrapped up in the pattern of God for our families, and it all requires the hope of God in our hearts. When the hope of God grips our hearts and changes our church, and changes our families, it's going to transform the way that we interact in the community and the world, which is the last mention of hope in First Peter. And it fo- he focuses our attention in, in chapter 3, verse 14. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks a reason for the Hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, you, those who revile your good behavior may, in Christ may be put to shame. So here's the final thing that I want to direct your hope toward this morning. Hope for the boldness of God in your witness. Hope for the boldness of God in your witness. Peter looks at these elect exiles these citizens of heaven who are suffering as outcasts on the earth. And he says, uh, don't fear the people around you. Fear God. Honor Christ as holy and continue to live hopeful lives in this world. And that hope will result in a question. What is the reason for the hope that is in you? They might ask you that question outright. Uh, They might just be looking at you funny because you live your life totally different than they do. And because your hope is so strong, you could say, my hope is in Jesus. He's produced in me this joy and this holiness. He's why I love the people in my church so much. He's why my family looks different than the rest of the world. He is my living hope. When we hope in Jesus, he produces boldness in our witness. Think about it. Uh, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has taken death off the table. And so what else can anybody do to us? What, are, what else are we afraid of? As a church, we want to equip you for a bold witness. And I'm praying that this year we gain an even more intense desire to see lost people come to know Jesus and glorify Jesus. We, we talked on Tuesday night at, at our men's time about maintaining a prayer list in all of our gospel communities where we, uh, of people whom we're sharing the gospel with and seeking to help one another reach the unbelieving, the unchurched, and the unconnected. We're we're participating in the Salenka Parade in a week and a half, calling people to experience the hope of Jesus through the gospel. That's what's going to be on those cards that we hand out to, 
I think we were going to print like 2,000 of them. We're working on other broader outreach plans throughout the fall and winter. And we want to continue to be a light on the hill here at 902 Winter Hill Road. But you need to make this personal for you. Does your hope in Jesus produce a boldness in your witness for Jesus? If you had to answer that question, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? How would you answer it? Go back to what you wrote down at the beginning of the sermon and consider it one more time. What do you hope in? What do you hope for? I want to urge you, live with hope in Jesus for the priorities of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. We, We thank you that our hope is not based on our own performance or merit, but on the finished work of Jesus through his death and resurrection. We thank you that that you are the one who produces hope in us by the Spirit of God who causes us to be born again. And I pray that our hope for eternity would cause us to live differently now. Lord, we ask that you would produce the things in us that you want to produce as a church. Make us faithful to you. Allow us to live for your glory in our trials. Allow us to strive for your holiness in our walk. Help us to love with the love of Christ in our church. Lord, may we seek your pattern for family where it seems so hard and and, and improbable and upside down to us. Father, may we then be a bold witness for you as a church and may you produce new life in more and more people in Solanco and beyond. Lord, we're seeking you this year. We're seeking your hope. Cause us to fix our eyes on the living hope that is Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.